0: Uh, well, you know, I will, um, I'll never forget the first time that I saw a dead body. Uh, I was invited to the viewing at a funeral home of someone who was close to our family. And the funeral director explained to me that it was going to be okay to touch the skin of the deceased. Uh, but he warned me that the body would be really cold. Uh, and it was. Uh, I was pretty thankful for that warning. <laughs> um, but I think what was more shocking was just, Seeing a body that has no life at all, I wonder if you've been in that situation before and seen a body like that. It's weird because even if they're still, you kind of expect subtle movements in the eyes of someone sleeping or that, that gentle rising and falling of a chest. But it 's not just that. There is just something it's hard to explain, really, the difference that it makes when someone is dead. It was a confronting experience, and it's something I've only had a, a couple of experiences with since then. But I think what it makes it so confronting is that brutal reality that the person really is truly dead. And there's nothing whatsoever that they can do to bring themselves back to life. Now you might wonder why it is that we're talking about this. Well, we are talking about the topic today, Alive with Christ, which happens to be the tagline for our church logo and uh, if you have a look on the front of that new sheet you'll see Jamboree Anglican alive with Christ it's on the sign out the front of our church as well and you want to know why we chose that tagline it's because we are the church of the resurrection and that's why we say that we are alive with Christ if you go down a list of all of the different churches in the Diocese of Sydney we're the only one we're not St. This or St. That we are The church of the resurrection. But what does that really mean to be alive with Christ? Well, it all comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So, today, as we kick off the new year, I wanted us to stop and think about what it means to be alive with Christ. And that's why I wanted us to start by thinking about dead bodies. (laughs) You think, what's that got to do with it? Well, being dead is the opposite to being alive, of course. And so if we're going to talk about being alive, we need to contrast it with being dead. Now that seems obvious, but sometimes we need to point out really obvious things, to to make obvious things even more obvious. Because some people think that following Jesus is about self-improvement. It Maybe it's about adopting a worldview that makes sense of confusion. Or maybe it's about connecting with a religious community that will help bring meaning. Or maybe it's about finding peace when someone has a troubled soul. Now finding Jesus will do all of those things, God willing. But when we speak of coming alive, it's not about feeling more alive. Kind of like when you're feeling sleepy and you go for a morning surf and you get the water and then oh, you feel great. That kind of coming alive. That's not what the alive means here. Coming alive is all about coming back from the dead. Everyone needs to be alive in Christ. Because without Christ, each one of us is dead. We are spiritually dead. We are as spiritually dead as that body I saw in that open coffin. Dead. Here's verse 5 of Ephesians 2 in our normal translation. It says that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you have been saved. What does it say? It says we were dead. It didn't say we were feeling a little bit anxious or a bit confused or needing a bit more direction. It says we were spiritually dead. And spiritual death came about because of our sins. Our sins led us to be dead. And so we don't invite people to become followers of Jesus so that they'll have a happier life. We tell people to follow Jesus because they're dead without him. And more than just dead, they're under God's judgment. And because of that, they're under God's anger. And so being alive in Christ is about escaping God's anger. If you're with us today in person or online and, and you don't know that you've truly followed Jesus Christ just yet, I tell you, you've got to do it. Because it's not about just thinking I might improve my life a little bit. You are dead in God's sight. And He is inviting you to come alive. Maybe tonight's the night to do that. Because you can be saved from the eternal punishment in hell that people will naturally experience if they don't follow Jesus as Lord. But how do we get spiritually dead in the first place? Why would humans be born only to be sentenced to hell? It's a good question. Well, the answer comes from the opening chapters of the Bible. In fact, the opening chapter grounds everything in life. The very first verse of the opening chapter of the whole Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. All life came from God. He made the world, and he made us to live in it. And part of his beautiful creation was the joy and privilege of sitting under his kind and loving leadership. It's beautiful to sit under the leadership of someone who genuinely loves you, genuinely cares for you, genuinely wants what's best for you. And that is how it was created. And to demonstrate the depths of our dependence on him, the Lord God made a clear boundary for his people, which we see in chapter 2 of Genesis. He says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over, but the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. The created humans were blessed in every way by God. He provided all they needed in every way. What could be possibly better than that? But the Lord wanted to protect his precious people from the consequences of eating the fruit of one particular tree in the garden. Just one particular tree. That tree would open their eyes to a dark side of life that he wanted to spare them from. But worse than that, God, who made them and loved them and was worthy of trust, God warned them that if you eat from that tree, you will die. Do you want to die? Don't die. Don't eat from the tree. Simple. Lots of nice trees over there. Check those ones out. Don't eat from that tree, for you will surely die. And it was was funny because at that point, they had not experienced death. It's kind of like... What do you mean by die? Can't be that bad. But the issue is that if they ate from that tree, it showed that they didn't care about God at all. They didn't really trust Him. They didn't really think that what He had in store for them was best. And if they ate from that tree, it would show that they didn't believe that death was really a problem. But the thing is, that's incredible is that God created humans with with personal responsibility, the opportunity to make choices. Humans are beings with a choice. We're not robots, we're not puppets. We're independent beings. And it's that choice that led to the next sad chapter in the history of humanity. Because what we read is that humans chose to reject God and his good and loving rule over them. And that's where death came from. We see this in the third chapter. We've done chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter 2 of Genesis, chapter 3. Here it comes. Satan said to them as a serpent, You won't die, he said to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. Well, sounds, seems did. She saw that the tree was beautiful, yeah, and its fruit looked delicious, yum, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her because God obviously doesn't love me enough, she thinks. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. They experience the loving kindness of God in a way that we never have. The the, the physical, no sin, life there in the garden, face to face with God. And yet they say, I want more, I want different. I don't think God really loves me just that much. In fact, this lousy snake... He's telling me that God's a liar and I should believe him. Well, what am I going to do? Believe the snake. They believed the greatest liar of all times. When he said, you won't die, they believed him. And so no sooner than when the fruit had touched both of their lips, they gained that wisdom. And with it came shame. And that shame was just the start of their problems because now relationships were broken everywhere. Relationships between humans and God, humans and each other, and humans and creation. Relationships are broken everywhere. And as God pronounces judgment upon them, he ends by saying this to the man. He says, By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Why will they return back to dust? It's because they'll die. God said, don't eat of the tree and you won't die. What do they do? They eat of the tree. What's going to happen? They die. Death enters creation. It is a tragic moment. And from this, death hangs over all humans as a curse. And yet even at this point, with this universal death sentence, there's still a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of divine hope. A few verses before that, God pronounced a curse on Satan and he said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. An offspring of that woman will strike the head of the snake. One of her descendants will defeat the devil. And we as New Testament Christians know that that's Jesus. This is the first little spark here. The first little kind of shadow of the gospel that is to come right here in chapter three. There is hope. But it is a distant hope. It's a distant hope for them. Because now they're banished from the Garden of Eden, and before too long they did taste human death in a very real way. Because in chapter four of Genesis, we're not going to go through every chapter of the Bible, just let you know. Uh, But we get in chapter four. One day Cain suggested to his brother, so Cain's one of the kids of Adam and Eve and he's got a brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. They had two sons and one kills the other one. It's kind of like death is going to come into the world. Yes, you might think it's old age. No, it's murder. One brother kills another brother. And now with Abel's lifeless body, the true anguish of death is realised. The blood is on his hands. Cain would have felt the shame of murder and seen the grief of his parents. And now the greatest problem facing humanity is now really, really real. Humanity had a death sentence and now, more than ever, we needed a solution. And it's the story of our salvation that makes the Bible such a wonderful wonderful word of hope. Hope that death might be conquered. Hope that we might be made alive. This is the hope that they're looking forward to. Because already, four chapters into the Bible, the place is a mess. It's a disaster. Is there hope? Well, we skip forward a little bit to the 12th chapter of Genesis. God makes a promise to Abram, who would later be called Abraham. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. Uh, right, And he says, I will bless those who curse you and treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is a very, very important moment in the history of God's people because God gave hope to Abram and he gave hope to his family. He gave hope to Abram and his family. But still, death wasn't conquered. Abram, well, he became bones, dead bones. His wife did. And their kids and their kids' kids. Still a problem. But there is hope. Hope in the follow up promise that was made to Abram. He said to him the Lord did in verse five of fifteen. He took Abram outside and said, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him look at this. The Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Right there, we, we see the very model of what it means to respond to God's word. God makes a promise, and what do you do with a promise? You believe it. You hear the promise, and you respond with faith. That's how it works. And what happens to Abraham? It's like, thumbs up, God, and God considers him righteous. If you want to know a bit more about this, rewind, see last week's sermon from Trevor on chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's all about this, and this is one of the bits that was mentioned, of course. There is now hope. He would physically die, but he would gain all the benefits of being righteous. Now He wouldn't see all those benefits until thousands of years later after Jesus of Nazareth, that descended, but more of that soon. Because from that point onwards, we see this shaky journey towards living life in that land that was given to them by God. There was the amazing rescue from slavery in Egypt, And then God gave them the law so they could know what God's kingdom was to be like. And it would show them the desperate need for God's mercy to bring them forgiveness when they failed to keep the law. And then they're in the land, got King David, and now God's promises were being fulfilled in his kingdom. Good stuff's happening. And there's a renewed promise, verses 12 and 13 of 2 Samuel 7. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I'll raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. See, there is a whole lot of hope right there, looking to the future. And he goes on to say, "He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever." We saw in One Kings last week, as we uh, last year, as we looked at it in detail, these kings were generally not so crash hot, far from perfect, in fact, and the nation ended up divided. And then eventually it ends up in exile. And it brings us to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, which I wanted to slow down briefly and have a little look at one particular chapter. It's a fairly famous chapter. And it's a chapter that's all about a valley of dry human bones. It's pretty gruesome stuff, really. You know, I've talked about a dead body at the start. Well, this is a dead body that's turned just into bones. All the flesh and everything else is gone. But... What we see will happen with these bones gives a special hope for God's people. Now you've got to realise where this chapter is set. It's about 600 years before Jesus comes along. Okay, God's people are in a place called Babylon which is not the promised land. No, they've been thrown out of the promised land. Why? Because they disobeyed God. They're in this far, far away land and they're in exile and it's just generally horrible for them. And they're thinking, have they got any hope at all? And Ezekiel, who's the prophet, he's been given by God to say his word to these people when they need to hear it. And we get to hear a bit of that in chapter 37. We read verse 1 and 2, that the Lord took hold of me, Ezekiel said, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around the bones that were covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. It'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? There they are, bones everywhere. You think, "Oh, do I tread on a crack?" It's like weird. there's bones everywhere. What a mess. And right there, that's where he is. And why is he there? What are they for? What does it mean? There must be some reason. Well, we're not told just yet, but we are asked we do hear that Ezekiel's asked a question by God. Ezekiel says, Well then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, You alone know the answer to that. Uh, If God asks you a question, that's not a bad way to respond. Uh, You're the boss, not me. Whatever you say, Lord. And how does the Lord reply to that? Verse 4, he says, Okay, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Um, that's probably a fairly hard kind of message to give, uh, especially you know they're certainly not going to be they're going to be a captive audience. They're not going to move around, but they're not going to be terribly responsive. You'd expect kind of like you know just just make a cracking noise if you're listening. Nothing, okay. But anyway, he's the preacher who's got to preach to the dead, board congregation, or just dead congregation, all of them right there. And this is what he is to say to these dead bones, verses five and six. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. How are you going bones with this? Are Are you listening to me? And he goes on to say after that, I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord. It's an amazing transformation that's spoken about there. Hard to imagine. Really, really hard to imagine. You're walking around this valley of bones and you're thinking, I'm telling you that the Lord's going to bring you alive. It's like, really? Pull the other leg. Oh, we kind of which one, you know. The thing is in all of that, that it would be amazing to see. But it's all amazing because it's the Lord who will do it. The Lord will bring life to these dead bones. And with that transformation from death to life, they would know that God is the Lord. So Ezekiel, the was told, verse 7, I spoke this message just as he told me, and suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all around the back. Could you believe that? A rattling noise. All the bones are rattling, rattling, rattling. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. The knee bones connected to the... Whatever it is. Oh, there they are, the skeletons walking around right in front of them. And then, as I watched... Muscles and flesh formed over the bones. And then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath in them. It, it's kind of like a horror movie. It's like well, it's bits of you know, Indiana Jones. It's kind of like the... Except it's the other way around. It's going from the skeleton to the bodies. But still they have no breath. Verse 9. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds... Son of man. Speak to the winds. I've oh, got you already to speak to bones. Now speak to winds. It's like, can I just have some normal people in my church? No. Speak to the wind. And he speaks to the wind. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. See, without the breath, the bodies would be lifeless. It would be like those body, the body that I saw there in that coffin. But verse 10. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and stood up on their feet. A great army. Wow. Alive with breath. If it could be quiet enough, if the wind would die down and you came up close enough to them, you'd be able to hear the breath. You could hear it. God's breath brought life to the dead bones and they were ready to serve in a great army of God. But why did he have to do this and why and what did the bones turn into living bodies represent? Verse 11. He said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. There's the answer. They are saying, we have become old dry bones, all hope is gone, our nation is finished. 10 years they've been there in exile. Year after year, no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope. Where's God? Gone. We've got nothing. The nation was like the bones there. And yet, because of that, they were having hope from the Lord. The dead nation was to be made alive by God. And so he says, therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again and then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. There's hope. Hope for even dead bones, let alone dead bodies. They have hope. The Lord God himself would bring them back to the land of Israel and when he did so, they would have life. Verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. God would bring his people back to the promised land and there he would bring them back to life. The return from exile brought hope of life. They will live again when the Lord will put his spirit in them. The same breath that produce the universe the same spirit was the same spirit that would bring his dead people back to life and so in this sort of chapter of history that would happen that those who were in exile would 10 plus 60 years later go back to the land that they came from God would put them there and they would rebuild the temple but there was still death the nation had been brought back from the dead but death still came And you're thinking, is that return from exile as good as it gets? Well, no. But they had to wait about 500 years. It's a long time. But then, in Matthew chapter 4, we read a prophecy from Isaiah that came true. For we read that a people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. The people living in the land where death casts its shadow, they've seen light. And this is what the life was like, John 1, 4-5. The Word gave life, life, to everything that was created and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness of death would see the light of life. Here's where the hope has been building towards. The dead bodies with flesh and bones and life are moving towards this very point in history. And with the coming of Christ came the hope of the death of death. And it's just most beautifully seen with the episode in Jesus' life when he was with 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 the sister of Lazarus, his friend. Lazarus who had died. And we read these famous verses. Jesus told that sister, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus made an extraordinary claim about himself. He he didn't just claim to be able to bring life to others as amazing as that would be in itself. He actually called himself life. Who does that? I am the life. I am the resurrection. Who does that? Who can get away with saying such a crazy thing? Well, the guy who can do that is the guy who did this. For as he stood at Lazarus's grave, they rolled the stone aside. Verse 41. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me you always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grey clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told him, Unwrap him and let him go. Lazarus was now alive with Christ. Why? because he was having a bad day I tell you he was having a bad day he was dead and he came to life he didn't need some self-improvement he, he didn't need to finally tune his life so that he could be in better balance with things he's like no this dude had no pulse he could not breathe as it says in the King James he stinketh you know? it's kind of like this guy's in serious trouble and Jesus comes and says get out of the tomb man and he does That is what you can do when you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the guy who brings people back to life. You want to know about being alive with Christ? This is what it's about. He brings people back to life. But we killed him. But God brought him back to life. See the pattern? As Peter preached in Acts 2. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honour in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. God raised Jesus to life. And that means death is defeated. The empty tomb is more than just a miracle that showed the return of life to Jesus. I mean, that is pretty cool, obviously. But it's a miracle that shows the death of death. The empty tomb is our hope because death is defeated. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, who's that? That's Adam. We saw him earlier on. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Who's that? Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And he says this in Romans chapter 8. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. And Because of this, we can join together and say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of the cross. It's the power of the empty tomb. It's the power of the risen Christ. Uh, the week after I visited the funeral home uh, and saw the open casket, it was a fairly um, tragic time in the life of our family in a lot of ways with this man who had died in, in um, very sad and yeah, situation, uh, and I was to preach at a, at a church somewhere, and I was to preach on John chapter 11, Lazarus. And in a way, you might say too soon, and I've got to say I, I did feel it right here as I preached about someone being dead and Jesus going, ah. and and the weeping, and I thought, you know, it's kind of like, oh, maybe it's too soon, maybe it's too close. But I tell you what, as I was reading these words from John 11, I saw a comfort there that cannot be given in any other way. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's why being alive in Christ is not about self-improvement. It's not about finding direction or calming anxiety or gaining hope. All those things are byproducts, but it's not the main game. The main game is about escaping spiritual death. It's about coming alive from spiritual death. It's like being dead body, a dead body on a on a stainless steel trolley in a morgue, and suddenly they sit up and go, (gasps) that is what coming alive is. Sadly we still have funerals for Christians, don't we? I've been to a few, I've done a few, few, and they're pretty intense times, aren't they? We still await the day when we will see in full what we await in faith. We know the time is coming when all who are dead in Christ will rise, and with them we will have the final laugh at death. That's the moment we look forward to as Christ returns. But as we await that day, we are people who are alive with Christ with the certainty of the defeat of death. Which is why I've got to say that if you're not friends with Jesus, if you're not following him, you've missed out on all that. You're still dead. You're still under God's anger. Judgment Day is coming, and that's a scary day. I tell you, don't sit back and say, well, it's not that important, I just don't feel like I need a bit of an improvement in my religious stuff. It's not about improvement in religious stuff. It is about going from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. It's about going from God's anger to knowing God's forgiveness. That's why you need to come and follow him. Turn your back on your past and follow him as your loving ruler. And if you do that, you will then join with us in the hope of eternal life. You will experience with us what it means to truly be alive with Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And what did Jesus say to Martha? What does he say to us? Do you believe this? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus. For his resurrection from the dead, death is defeated. We thank you that by grace you have made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We thank you for this wonderful gift and may we trust in you and enjoy every bit of it. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.